0: So tonight I'm going to be sharing about the goodness of God, but that's only half of the message. The title on your sheet, if you don't have one, they're back on the table, but the title of our message tonight is that God is good and the devil is bad, and we need to differentiate because too many people are blurring the lines. You've got a testimony too, don't you, Carol? <laughs> we'll You know what? We're going to say that. Don't let me forget, please. Okay? We're going to share. I've got another testimony I want to share in a little bit. So many times that line is blurred. So what I want you to start with right now, there's a little box at the top of your sheet. And this is kind of a summary of what we're going to be talking about today. Here's the first thing. It is so important that we know that God is good. And when I you see the word know is in all caps, it's not a head knowing, it's a heart knowing, it's a revelatory knowing. It is so important to know that God is good. The goodness of God is a foundation stone to theology, a foundation stone, a bedrock to faith, believing God for, in this case, healing or for any other promise in the Bible. His goodness, is, it's so important to have that knowing in your heart. He is only good. He is always good. But in this world, and here's the problem, in this world, people have mixed truth with experience. The truth is that God is good. But they've mixed it with experience and then they've tried to make their experiences fit into the truth or the truth to fit into the experiences. And in that process, people have unknowingly started to perceive evil as good. And then there's a dangerous lie. They bought a lie that the enemy from the enemy that causes us to question the goodness of God. There is a blurred line between God is good and the devil is bad, and there shouldn't be any blurred line. There should be a black and white line, and on one side, good is God, and on the other side, devil is bad. So that's kind of the thesis or what we're going to be talking about today. So, again, first things first, and that is the importance of this revelation of the goodness of God. So I want to pray right now for that revelation for, for me and for all of you. Father, I pray right now that just as Jenny has shared a story, a, a testimony of the goodness of God and his love for Joanne, her mama, Father, I pray that there is a revelation in our innermost being that God is good and that nothing, nothing, no experience, no words of other people, no words of man will ever steal that truth from within us. That the goodness of God is such a bedrock foundation, such a firm foundation, so deeply rooted within us that there is no way to pull it out in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I pray that wherever we're at, whether we're questioning God's goodness right now or whether we are firmly founded, whatever it is, God, that we grow stronger and deeper and stronger and deeper more deeply rooted and established in this bedrock truth that you God are good that you are only good that you are always good that you are amazing and that you love us like crazy and this father I ask in Jesus name amen amen so I want to define goodness right now According to the, the, the word from the Bible which is agathos, that's the word the Bible uses for good. It and when I read the definition, think about God. Put this definition with your picture of God of good constitution or nature, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, upright, honorable excellent, and distinguished. Do you hear words in there that say angry, bitter, harsh? Uh Uh-uh. That's not in the definition of good. God is good. He's happy. He's joyful. The goodness of God is inherent in him. The word inherent means that it exists in him as a permanent and inseparable attribute. Just like you know the the scripture that says God is love. It's not just that he is; he acts in love, although he does. It is inherent in him, and so is goodness. It is part of who he is. You can't take the goodness out of him. You can't remove it from him. It is also the goodness of God is intrinsic in his nature. That means it's in him, and it's not based on out extrinsic stuff. It's not based on what's outside. So he doesn't look at Leah and say, oh, she's such a good girl. I'll be good because, she's, because of what's on the outside. No, 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 no. He's good no matter what. He is good. His goodness is his standard, and it doesn't go up or down. His goodness is constant and consistent. And it's not relative depending on our behavior. So, for example, if I'm a terrible person and I, uh, I, I am mean to people and I'm a sinner and, I, and I'm, um, you know, whatever. Just terrible, terrible, terrible to people. That doesn't change God's goodness. He's still good. And it's not relative even on our beliefs. Now, this is, this is strange. It doesn't matter what you believe. You might believe he's not good. You might believe he's harsh. You might, you might believe, I'm going to go here tonight. You might believe he gives sickness. He doesn't. But you might believe that. Many people do. That doesn't change the truth that he's good. Our beliefs don't change his goodness. He is good. You're just misunderstanding the character of God his goodness is a standard and it doesn't change and it's not relative it doesn't change if our behavior changes it doesn't change it's consistent he is good I'm going to read two beautiful scriptures from the Bible there are so many that literally say he's good is the Bible true? Yes. absolutely so if the word says God is good. Is it true? Absolutely. So here's a couple of scriptures. Psalms 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. His faithfulness continues. There's three words in there that I just want to soak in. Good. He's good. He has unfailing love. And his faithfulness. I did a series of teaching a few years back, one teaching on his goodness, one teaching on his love, and one teaching on his faithfulness. He is so good. The next scripture is one that I just see um, coming to pass in my life, and I'm sure if you meditate on it, you see it in yours too. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see. Those words you could replace with experience and perceive. Tasting is a, an experiential um, uh, activity. When you taste, it's experience. It's a sense. God gifted us with this amazing sense of tasting. Tasting. When we taste the goodness of God, we're experiencing his goodness. When we see the goodness of God, we're perceiving it. It's not just a head thing. It's a perception. It's a deeper thing than just head thing. So tasting and seeing the goodness of God, I believe, leads us to the second half. When we experience, when we perceive the goodness of God, then, and this is, this is what I see in my life, then I trust him. When I experience, just like your mama, when she experienced God taking care of her, even though she didn't know Jesus personally at that time, later on, when she came to know Jesus, she realized what God had done. And it, I'm sure it made a difference in trusting him, in saying, wow, he took care of me. And then that trust is that the the faith just growing and evolving. You can't trust somebody that you don't know that you haven't experienced. And then the blessings are the result. I'm going to share a couple of little testimonies right now that are a perfect example of this scripture coming to pass. The first one is it happened last week with my granddaughter. Um, Kent's going to go ahead and put a picture up there of Cora. You get to see my baby girl. This is Cora Pie, we call her. Now, what I really want you to look at, and it's really kind of hard to see, but in her hand, she has this teeny tiny little toy bunny. It's about this big. It is tiny. I mean, she's a little girl. It's like this big. It was her birthday last week, and one of the, the gifts that I got her were her first little girl Lego sets. They're these little... Junior lego sets and each one of these junior lego sets came with a little tiny animal and she liked the animals the best She was playing with them all week and one particular night We were going to have a bonfire and all of a bunch of cousins were coming We have a lot of cousins in my family. There were a lot of cousins coming to play and Come to the bonfire and she wanted to take her bunny out to the bonfire and Grandma first I said "Grandma, grandma did say no But uh, she wanted to take that bunny out, so that please, Grandma, please, please, I'll I'll be really careful. So Grandma finally gave in and said yes. I said, but honey, you you drop it; it's really going to be hard to find. I won't drop it, Grandma. So she took that little itty bitty bunny outside to the bonfire at dusk. It's getting dark and all the cousins were there and they started playing and they were playing tag, then they were playing hide and seek, they were running all over. And we have, our, our cottage is on a three acre island, big piece of property. And where they were playing was this great big, it, twice as big as this room, big area where they were running and playing. And she's having a ball and then they came and did marshmallows and s'mores and all that and then she came up to me and she says, Grandma, where's that lantern that you brought down here? And so I, well, honey, I, I took it up because we've all got iPhones. We really don't need it. We've got a flashlight. She, And then, and then, and then I found out why she wanted a lantern. I lost my bunny. And she started just crying her little eyes out. And so all the cousins got the iPhones and with flashlights, and where did you think you lost it, Cora? And, and we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and couldn't find it. So she kind of settled down a little bit. Her amazing big brother, Colton, had another one of those itty-bitty animals. It was a tiger, and he said, Cora, I'll give you the tiger. You can have my tiger. So so the night finished. They went to bed and all, and the next morning she got up, and it was starting, you know, we were playing. It was light. It was a pretty sunny day, and I said, Cora how about if you and Grandma go down and take a walk down there where we were having a bonfire, and we'll look for your bunny. And she said, okay. So we went down, and the first thing I did was I prayed. And I asked Holy Spirit. I said, Holy Spirit, will you help us find that bunny? Cora loves that bunny, and I know that you care about what Cora cares about. Will you help us find that bunny? So I start walking and walking and looking and looking. And Ken had not mowed, so the grass was about that tall. And... Um, walking and looking and walking and looking and um, praying as I was looking, just talking to God, saying, Father, I know you love us so much. Will you help me find that bunny? And I just kept talking to God. Sure enough, I'm walking along and that little bunny was right there on the ground. (laughs) Picked up that little bunny and I showed Cora and oh my goodness, she was so, so, so excited. The first thing Cora and I did was said, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. Thank you for helping us find the bunny. And we were celebrating the goodness of God. God cares about little things that matter to a little girl. He, I mean, I was just undone by the goodness of God. And then we proceeded to share that story. Everybody, all the cousins, everybody that knew how upset Cora was, we told them. We found that bunny. We asked God, and he helped us find it. We told everybody the testimony of God helping Cora find her bunny. So that's one amazing little story that I experienced this week. And then I had another one this morning. And this one, oh my goodness, God never ceases to amaze me. Um, On Sunday, if you guys were at Rochester Christian Church Sunday, Pastor Chris, that's his name, right? Pastor Chris taught a message. And first time I'd ever heard this man teach. He's our youth pastor, our new youth pastor. And he shared a really good message that really impacted me. And one of the things he talked about was um, the importance of daily encountering God. And as you daily, relentlessly pursue Him, experiences result. God experiences. So you might spend time with God day. Day after day after day after day. And not really experience him. And then all of a sudden, there's this mega experience. And it's precipitated from relentlessly pursuing God. So, he was giving that message. And as he was giving it, I was thinking, in my prayer life, it's kind of been to the point. I always had gotten up early and spent time with God. But my my alarm has been going off and I've been hitting snooze more. Um, My alarm is set for 550. And um, I I intend to hit the snooze once, but I want to get up at 6. So I have about an hour of time with God before I start my day. And it's been getting kind of shorter and shorter because I just keep hitting the snooze. And it kind of convicted me. And I said, God, I want more of you. I I want you. I want to know you. And I don't want to cut my time short. So that Sunday, I purposed to set my alarm at 5.30 instead of 5.50 but I didn't do it. I said I was going to do it in my head, in my heart, but I didn't do it. Yesterday, I got up at whatever time, 5.50, hit the snooze three times, got up, 6.30 or whatever. This morning, this morning, my alarm went off at 5.30, but I hadn't set it at 5.30. God set my alarm for me because he wanted to spend time with me. I know it. He was saying, Cindy, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Honest to God. You might think it's nuts. I have an alarm that is extremely hard to set. It's the only clock in the house that Kent will not set when the time changes because it's so hard to set. It was set for 530, and I didn't do it. God did it. That is the goodness of God. He loves us. He wants to fellowship with us. I could almost see him saying, Yay, my daughter's going to hang out with me. But she forgot to set her alarm, so I'll do it for her. (laughs) You know, he's just so awesome. So that alarm is on 530. I am not changing it. God said it. It's staying there. Amen. That is a picture of the goodness of God. The next thing on your paper talks about Jesus. Pastor Tim has so richly taught us about Jesus, hasn't he? Jesus is the best way to see the goodness of God because Jesus is the most, most perfect picture of God that's ever been taken. There are numerous scriptures that talk about Jesus being the visible representation of the invisible God. There are many of them. I'm going to share one of them. This is Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. Jesus is the mirror image of God. When we see Jesus, we see the heart of God. We see the nature of God. And when we see Jesus, we see good. We see compassion. We see the God who cares about so much. The God who cares about, remember the widow whose son had died. It was her only son, the the widow of Nain, I think it says in the Bible, the widow of Nain. She didn't ask for God to raise her son from the dead. She was mourning the loss of her only son. She didn't have a husband. Her heart had to be broken. Jesus saw it. And he went to that funeral procession and he raised that little boy for that boy. I don't know how old he was. Raised him from the dead. That's the heart of God. We see him with a woman with caught in adultery. Terrible sinner. She was caught in the very act. He acquitted her. He said, I don't condemn you either. They didn't condemn you. I don't condemn you either. He called Matthew, the tax collector, to be his apostle. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, he said, come down, I want to eat dinner at your house. Time and time and time and time again, his compassion, his goodness was poured out to the people. This morning I read the scripture in Matthew that says he left The 99 for the one sheep. That's our good shepherd. He leaves the 99 in search of the one lost sheep because he doesn't want any to be lost. That's the goodness of God. When we look at Jesus, we see the goodness of God. We see the heart of God. This is what we don't see. When we look at Jesus, we never once see him attributing to his father, to God, untimely death. But we see that in our world. When we look at Jesus, not once do we see him, do we see Jesus, saying God is to blame for hardship, for sickness, for torment, for misery. No. Jesus attributes the torment, the misery to the devil, to the enemy. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures right now. The purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, back up. This is important. I don't want to miss this. So Jesus didn't do that. He did not blame God for bad stuff because it wasn't God. So here's, here's something for you to go home and think about. It's in a big box on your paper. If there's something that you're believing that you can't prove through Jesus and his ministry, then it's a lie. If there's something you're thinking, you're questioning, you're wondering, like, is it always God's will to heal? That's a big one. If you're thinking a question like that and not sure, look at Jesus. If you can't prove that thing through Jesus' ministry, then it is not true. Jesus healed all. He never said, it's not God's will to heal you. Never. So if you can't prove it through Jesus' ministry, then it's a lie. But to me, that's good news because it shows me that it's a lie. And I can say, okay, now I know. Now I can say, lie, I'm not believing you. I'm believing the truth. I'm believing Jesus. And what Jesus did, because that's the truth. Another example is, um, this is what some people say. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve healing. Or I deserve to be sick because of my lifestyle. For example, if you're a smoker or if you're, you know, have a, whatever in your life. I have a man who, who thought he deserved to have hearing loss because he hadn't taken care of his ears. So he said, I deserve it that's a lie because Jesus never did that he never said you deserve this because of your lifestyle or because, like the adulterous woman would be a perfect example he never said you deserve this no he said I have compassion on you too that's the goodness of God that's the heart of the father another example we hear often is that God's punishing us he's harsh, he's punishing us for bad behavior he never did that He never did that. Jesus didn't do that. And Jesus is the perfect picture of his father. So if there's something that you're questioning, there's something you're wondering, ask yourself, what did Jesus do? Because that points us to the heart of the father. Okay, now I want to get into the purpose of Jesus' ministry. Acts 10.28 or 10.38. The apostles are spreading the good news of the gospel and they're telling everybody about Jesus. And this is one of the things they told them. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So there's a perfect example of Jesus not saying this is of God. He's saying, "Oh no, it's of the devil." And my purpose is to heal it and to expose the work of the enemy. We're going to talk quite a bit about what that means to be oppressed by the devil as we go through this evening. Here's another example of Jesus' mission. 1 John verse chapter 3 verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Sin was removed so that we could be reconciled unto God. Sin was removed, so we're no longer under the dominion of darkness. We're no longer under the dominion of the evil one. We're no longer under the power of sin. We're no longer even under the power of the penalty of sin. We've been redeemed. 1 John 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There's two camps, God and good, the devil and bad. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. John 10:10. 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus said my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. The enemy is bad. God is good it's not God if it looks like stealing killing or destroying sickness is not from God lack is not from God pain is not from God if it's bad it's not from God but it is from God if it looks like life Rich and satisfying, whole, complete, full. So full that you want to give it away. So full that you go to the mall and you find people to pray for. That's life. That's God. God is good and the enemy is bad. But the lines have gotten blurred in the world that we live in, and that's what I want to address right now. There's a lot of good questions out there. Questions are good if they point you to look to the word, to look to the promises of God, to look to God, Jesus, for the answers. But questions are not good if they take you to the world. If they take you away from God, if they take you out of agreement with God and start believing that God's not good. So today we're going to ask some questions, but with every question that we talk about, we're going to look to the word. We're going to look to God to address those questions because these are big questions. The biggest question I get, I get it a lot, all the time, and it's a good question. The biggest question is, well, Cindy, I see what the word says. I see the promises. This is good news. It's really good news. But I haven't seen this come to pass in my life yet. Or I know somebody who's a really good person, who has a lot of faith, who's very strong, and they didn't receive it. So help me to understand. Well, that's what we're going to talk about now. When I do that study, that Bible study that I'm going to do in September, I really go deep and I have... I think six or seven answers to that question, possible answers to that question. And none of us are ever going to have the whole picture. But it helps us to have some idea of the answer to that question. Today we're only going to look at one of them. And it's called the oppression of the enemy. Bottom line is the enemy is still in the world. He has been defeated, but he's not been destroyed. He's still here. He's still in the world. So there are questions like, why are things the way they are? Look at the yuck in the world. Look at the corruption. Look at the sin. Look at the, 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 the it seems through my life that it's getting worse and worse and worse. The sin stuff. Look at TV or movies themselves. What a difference from the time we were kids. So there's that downward spiral. Another question, why do bad things happen? Well, if God's good, why do bad things happen? Okay? Why is there evil? And then where's God in this whole thing? Where is God in this picture? I'm going to talk about four four, pieces. Four, I'm calling them confusions because it's, I, I think it's an enmeshment of truth and experience all enmeshed together. And it's confusing. So I'm calling them confusions. But before I talk about them, I want to give you a resource that goes a lot deeper than what I'm going to go today. It's another one of my favorite books from Andrew Womack. It's called The True Nature of God. Uh, It's a really good teaching because it doesn't only talk about the new covenant, which is what I'm addressing today. It also goes way back to the old covenant. And the old covenant, the Old Testament, is where a lot of the questions come up because we do see judgment falling on man. But Andrew does an amazing job of explaining how um, the, the character of God was only partially revealed in the Old Covenant, but the character of God has been fully revealed through Jesus. So Andrew does a great job of teaching in depth about the true nature of God, including the Old Testament. But today I'm going to talk about here and now. The first thing I want you to remember is that Jesus is a picture of God. Jesus is a picture of the heart of God. But now let's look at these four areas of confusion. Here's the first one bad things happen to good people. You may have a person, this is hypothetical, but we all know this person, who has been fighting a disease, and they're a really good person. They have faith in God. They believe in God the Father, Jesus. They believe in the Holy Spirit. They have good character. They're a good person. And yet they haven't received their healing. In fact, they maybe have passed away. So, as a result, this is the hypothetical. I don't believe this. But so, people say, well, then it must be that God chose not to heal them. Okay, that is an enmeshment of experience with truth. They don't get it, so they just say, well, it must be God chose not to heal them. Well, here's the truth. This is really good news. And this is so simple. 2017, 18, 20 years ago, when Jesus died, when Jesus took the stripes on his back, that's when God chose to heal He already chose. He can't change his mind. It's finished. The work is finished. He had this amazing plan to send our Savior, our Redeemer. And it's completed. He can't choose to not heal today. Because he already chose to heal when Jesus paid the price for us 2,000 plus years ago. It's already done. Many times I share this this little statement. The work is finished. It's the finished work of the cross. It's past tense. The solution's already done. The work's already done. Our part is to believe it and take it, believe it and receive it. But the bottom line is God doesn't choose not to heal. It's already done. He's already chosen to heal. I'm going to go back to that um, scenario. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I feel I need to. I feel like I left something hanging there that could be a question mark in your heart. And that is, I said that person, I was kind of painting a picture of that person. I said they're a believer and they're a good person. But do they know that Jesus is the healer? Do they know The promises of God? Do they know that Jesus took the stripes on his back for our healing? Maybe, maybe not. Are they trusting in God? Are they resting in that place of knowing that Jesus did it and they don't have to? There's a whole lot of what ifs. So, anyway, the first confusion is God chooses to heal some and not others. That's a lie. That is a lie. Here's the second one. In this next one, I'm going to share, you're going to see how God is getting framed. When somebody gets framed, they get blamed for something they didn't do, right? So here's some examples of how God is getting framed. Here's one of them there are tragedies in the world. Many times people say, God did it, it's an act of judgment. And they may even, and not they, they do. There's their term, acts of God. Uh Uh-uh. How do I know? Because it's bad. Bad is the devil. Good is God. God doesn't do bad things. I heard this on the radio today. Um, The fires out west causing all kinds of death and destruction. It was Caleb I was listening to. And somebody called and they said, you know what's happening? There are pages from Bibles, pages, not whole Bibles, pages that are flying around and landing in front of people. They're picking it up, and God is giving them encouragement and words. This this, this woman is out there in Redding, California right now, and she's saying, This is happening. It's a phenomenon. These Bible pages are landing in people's feet. God doesn't cause those fires. The enemy is the author of destruction, not God. He's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So God's getting framed time and time and time again. Here's another example. Sometimes, and this happens quite a lot, sometimes people deny God's true nature. They probably don't know his true nature. And they embrace sickness or disease as a gift from God. That's blasphemy. That is calling evil good. That is taking something that is totally anti God, anti Christ, and embracing it as if it's from God. It isn't. Because God is always good and the devil's always bad. God does not give sickness and if we embrace sickness as a gift from God it's it's a lie it's a big lie i want to read a scripture this is isaiah 5 verse 20 this is from the bible god says to us woe judgment is coming to those who call evil good and good evil Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's what's happening when people embrace sickness as a gift from God. They're calling evil good. And it isn't. Here's the next confusion. People often say that as a result of some terrible ordeal or sickness or suffering, they feel stronger. They know God better. They've had a change of heart about something important. And then... Here's the confusion. They say, see what good came out of this? It must have been from God. Now, here's the bottom line. The mix-up, the confusion, is that they're confusing the outcome with the origin. Because the outcome is good. They think the origin is good. The origin's bad because sickness is from the enemy. But God can take something very bad and rescue us. He's a rescuer. He's a redeemer. I wouldn't be standing here if I hadn't had stage 4 cancer 16 years ago. But God did not give me cancer. The devil is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I opened the door. I can tell you how I did it. I didn't know I was doing it. But I had a really good friend who gave me good news, who told me truth, and I chose to trust God. And 16 years later, I'm here. I did nothing great. I'm no superstar. God met me right where I was and healed me. But we can't say because something good comes of it that the origin was good. That's confusion. And here's the fourth one. This is a big one. Sometimes people have a very grave misconception regarding the sovereignty of God. They believe God is in control of everything. That God can choose what he's doing. He's like this big God in heaven, just doing whatever he feels is best. Keserah Sarah, whatever will be, will be. God is sovereign, but sovereign means. Above all. Sovereign means kingly. Sovereign means um, uh, powerful. God is sovereign. He's so sovereign that he will not go against his own word. Or against his own promises. He will not change. So when he has a promise in his word that he's given us as part of the covenant, the new covenant of grace. We, that's ours. He doesn't change. This is what he does do, though. And this is where many of us miss it. He has commissioned us to act in authority and power over the works of darkness that he's defeated. We have a part to play We have a part to play in enforcing the defeat, and we have a part to play in believing God and his word. So God has done everything. The work is done. But he's called us to stand and take it and receive it. So that is confusing, that whole sovereignty thing. God has given us dominion, and it's ours to exercise. So his best for us is to agree with him. In um, one of my favorite scriptures, I believe is First John 5, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. It's the scripture that says um, that we can boldly and confidently go to God. And when we are in agreement with him, ask and we will receive that which we pray or ask for. But the key is agreeing with God. So his best for us is to agree with him and, and receive. So the bottom line, I already gave you the bottom line at the beginning, I'll repeat it. The bottom line is that the enemy is still in this world. So that's one of the huge reasons for the evil that we see, for the sickness that we see, for the the people that die before their time, because they don't know the whole truth. And these things, they're, they're believing lies, Here is um, 1 John 5, 19. This is is where we live right now. We know for a fact that we are of God. We're his children. We are of God. And the whole world around us is or lies in the power of the evil one, opposing God and his people. That's where we're at. There's believers, and there's those that either are non-believers or they don't understand the truth. And the enemy's having his way the enemy's having his way. That's what oppression is. Oppression, think about it. If people are sick, if people are weak, have an infirmity, terminal illness, chronic illness, pain, whatever it is, it can cause people to question the goodness of God, right? That's what the enemy wants. We can't stand up and and give testimony if we're in that place of buying the lie And then God's goodness is is, um, questioned by people all over. And that's what the enemy wants. So today, we're declaring the goodness of God. We're not going to let the enemy have his way. That's oppression. Oh, no. We rise above it. Not because we're anything super or strong or superman. It's because of God and his finished work and his power and his strength. So I want to wrap this up with some steps to take. So How do we take God's purpose, which is life, and not receive the thief's purpose, which is stealing, killing, and destroying? Well, today's teaching is key, and that is to have this foundation of the goodness of God as a bedrock, an absolute bedrock. That's why I prayed at the beginning, I'm going to pray again at the end, that that becomes revelation to you. Not just head knowledge, but revelation knowledge. Because we need it. We need that bedrock knowledge that God is good. Even if you don't understand why the bad stuff's happening, that's one of my six or seven reasons I'm going to give you later. One of them is I don't know and I don't need to know. And I don't have to know. I'm just going to trust God with all my heart. Even if I don't understand why that bad thing happened. I don't care. I know God is good. Period. Okay, so here are three strategies to help you to grow in knowing the goodness of God. Number one, when the enemy whispers negativity in your ear, it might be a pain. It might be a bad doctor's report. It might be fear. Fear. And you know what it's like. He whispers loud. He doesn't just whisper, he shouts. Right? We've all had that before. When the devil is shouting negative in your ear, give it as little attention as possible. And instead, replace that negative attack with truth. And that's when you can get loud. Get the truth out, get the promises out, get the word out, and loudly and fervently and effectually proclaim truth. Because when you're proclaiming truth, that lie, that negative thing, you're not giving attention to. You're giving attention to the truth. Real faith doesn't deny the existence of a problem. It just denies the problem a place of influence in your life. Isn't that good? Yeah. Okay, here's the second strategy. Our initial and our continued response in every situation, every time that negative thing happens, every time pain comes, every time the doctor's report is in your face, your first response and continued response should be, God is good. God, you are good all the time and I celebrate your goodness. Get those words in your heart And even if you don't feel them, even if they don't feel real to you, do it anyway. Because the more you declare it, the more they're going to become part of you. God, you are good. God, you are good. Your word says you're good. Jesus shows me that you're good. I believe that you're good. And then celebrate his goodness. That means praise him. Celebrate. When you celebrate, you're excited. You're partying. You're having fun. You're celebrating something amazing. Celebrate God's goodness. Praise him. Offer him the sacrifice of praise, whether you feel like it or not. Make the choice to offer him that praise. Last Sunday, Freddie, she's a beautiful, it's a woman, she's a beautiful woman at at Rochester Christian Church. She's been diagnosed with a, a very serious grade of cancer. She comes on Monday nights, this woman oh i am just loving watching her journey she is so on fire she is so no know- i mean she knows the goodness of god even though she's got doctors reports and treatments and all that other stuff you just see it it just pours out of her on sunday she was on the worship team so she's she feels really good so she's on the stage Worshiping with all her heart, praising God, just pouring out praise to God. A lot of people, if they were in a cancer um, treatment plan, would say, I can't be on your worship team until, you know, for now or whatever. Not Freddie. She's saying, get me up there. I can't wait to get up there and show not just God, but to show the people that I'm standing and I'm not just putting on a show. Uh, This is, this is. This is God taking care of me. This is my walk with God, not my walk by myself. This is God and me. And you, it, it just blessed me so much. I just could hardly even put my eyes on God because I just kept my eyes on Freddie saying, God, look at her. Look at that girl. She's so amazing. He was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So God, you are good all the time, and I celebrate your goodness. Number three. Feed on testimonies. Testimonies declare the goodness of God. Tonight we have shared Joanne's testimony of God taking care of her when that, that cat brought that little bird to her for two months, every day, and it saved her life. I shared the story of Cora's little baby animal that God helped us find. I shared the story of God setting my alarm for me God is good. Testimonies build us up and show us the goodness of God. So feed on those testimonies. They're going to build you up and, 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 and put your eyes on the goodness of God. So I'm going to close with this scripture. This is Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and the gift is yours. Seek, and you'll discover. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker, Suzette, will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently, Heather, will one day find that open door. Do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate of rocks instead? Or when asked for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? Healing is one of those wonderful gifts. I'll never forget when I was diagnosed with cancer. My mom told me, she said, Cindy, I would do anything to trade places with you because she's my mother she loves me she's a good good mother but she couldn't do it she physically couldn't change places with me but jesus did jesus did he traded places with me he took my sickness heather he traded places with you susette he traded places with you he took cancer into his body on the cross so that we could be whole and healed. He's a good, good father. God is a good, good father. So we're going to worship him right now with that song, Good, Good Father. Let's worship him and then we're going to pray. Thank you, God.